بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد So now continuing with where we left off from we were discussing the topic related to capital punishment more specifically concerning capital punishment for the apostate so who can remember some of the points that we mentioned concerning this the first point is exactly this is not for vigilantes it's not for people to take the law into their own hands this is for it's a judicial law and therefore it is in the hands of a Muslim ruler in a Muslim country that's his responsibility second point okay I mean that was in relation to adultery wasn't it yeah we've done that now what we're talking about is the apostate and the punishment that is applied to the apostate Who said, oh, yeah. Did you remember, yeah? Oh, no. You remember it vaguely, yeah? Essentially, what we said, and this is where we, uh, uh, we stopped last week, or last session, that every single country in the world, every single country, whether it's a communist country, whether it's a so-called liberal country, every single country assassinates those people are they considered to be a risk to them to, a risk to their national security or they might assassinate them because it's a risk to their own personal interests or people within that government within that centralized form of power they might even assassinate their own president they might even assassinate somebody that's uh, any part of their government why because they consider him to be a threat to, to national security or a personal interest or individual elements within that within that system They'll assassinate celebrity. They'll assassinate, uh, you know, um, influential political figures and so on and so forth. If they consider that person to be a threat to their national security. And the countries that do this, they can be divided into three. First type of country is a country that does so openly. Second type of country is a country that does so they don't do it explicitly. They won't say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to execute uh, one of our um, former spies. But everybody knows that they've done it, like Russia. Everybody knows Russia has killed these former spies. Russia knows that everybody else knows that they have killed these former spies, but they're just a bit sly about it. They're not absolutely explicit about it and the third type of country countries are those that assassinate those people that they consider to be a risk to national security personal interests or individual elements within that organization within that centralized form of power but they do so very very 
discreetly. They're not open about it. They're very discreet about it. So for example, you find someone who had access to certain information of a certain government, all of a sudden, you know, dies in suspicious circumstances. All of a sudden kills himself. All of a sudden has, an, has a heart attack. That's an engineered heart attack. Or for example, you find someone, all of a sudden dies suspiciously in a car crash. She is about to be married to somebody that is, that was, you know, uh, declared by people within the government as being a, uh, a camel driver, right? a sand whatever, you know the expression, sand whatever, camel driver. All, and all of a sudden, you know, they die suspiciously. Suspiciously, suspiciously, most likely it was something else. All of a sudden dying in, in, a, in a car crash. So these type of things, every government does it. Even those so-called liberal governments, they do it. But the only difference is, is that either you're open or you're just not open, but everybody knows that you're doing it, or you try to be discreet about it. They do this in order to defeat, to you know, secure, defend their own national interests. Is it the case that those individual cases are right or wrong, justified, unjustified? That's a separate case. What we're trying to say is that no government, no nation can exist unless it has these type of laws that protect their national interests. These type of laws via which they end up having to eliminate those people that they consider a threat and a risk to their national interest. If they don't do so, then instability will occur within that nation. And when instability occurs, and there's turmoil, when there's turmoil, then there's more loss of life. So now, with that being established, and with that being the case, alongside the fact that there are laws of treason that have existed within some of the countries today that consider themselves to be liberal, they had laws of treason. That if it was the case that you were found guilty of counterfeiting, here in England, counterfeiting. Then you were, you know, hung, drawn and quartered, hung up. And then just before you die, they'll put you down and they'll cut you up into pieces, they'll cut you open and then they'll divide your body and di dissect your body into pieces. This existed if, if you were somebody, someone, someone that was caught uh, committing adultery with the monarch, the uh, queen or the king's um, partner, husband. So the queen's husband or the king's wife, if you were caught committing adultery with them, then you'd be hung, drawn and quartered. Or if it was the case that you engaged in sexual relationships with the eldest daughter of the king or the queen, hung, drawn and quartered. It was treason. So these laws exist, and these laws have existed. So that therefore is a background 
that we need to be aware of when we discuss this topic of capital punishment for the apostate in, an, in a Muslim country, in an Islamic government. Now, what is considered a risk to the Islamic government? What is considered a risk to the government that chooses to be an Islamic country? In an Islamic government, the religion is the government. The religion is the state. So the basis of law, the basis of order, law and order, in an Islamic country is the religion itself. The judicial law, the uh, uh, welfare system, every single thing within that land is based upon a belief that we have that life is inherently meaningful as a knowledgeable, wise, powerful, masterful creator behind human life and that he's provided us with guidance as to how to live life and if we adopt and follow that guidance we'll be in paradise and if we turn away from that guidance we're threatened with the fire of hell and these are the proofs the evidences, the indications that indicate that this is actually from the Creator and it's not just blind faith. So the Islamic country is based upon that and every single thing via which law and order is established in an Islamic country that chooses to govern itself via Islamic law is based upon the religion. The two are inseparable. And therefore, when that is the case, a person now comes along and he openly de declares to have having been a member of that faith and now openly rejecting it knowing that this is the punishment for the one who does such and such does does this and he rejects the faith in the Islamic government not out, not outside the country inside the country openly the person who knows that I'm going to face capital punishment for doing so, he is not somebody that is just confused about religion or confused about his beliefs. Or, no, this is somebody that has an agenda to undermine the law of that land. He is somebody that has an agenda to bring about social disorder within that country. This is an essentially treason. And therefore, no person would do so unless he wants to bring about chaos in that particular land, instability in that particular land, social chaos and disorder in that particular, in that particular land. Therefore, it's a threat to national security. And therefore, it's a, if it's a threat to national security, then like any other countries, that country has the right of... Uh, 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 dealing with that person as and how that country deals necessary and every single country does so they eliminate those that they consider a risk to themselves and therefore the Islamic government only the Islamic government not the citizens of that country once it reaches the ruler and those ministers that are under his authority those that are charged with the responsibility of judging such culprits, once the uh, uh, situation it 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 uh, and it reaches them, then obviously that's their right to execute the punishment 
that they deem necessary upon that particular individual that is bringing about social instability, disorder in that particular country. Allah Jalla wa Ala, He has said in His book, in Surah Ali Imran, Ayah 72, وَقَالَتْ طَائِفَةٌ مِّنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ آمِنُوا بِالَّذِي أُنزِلَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَجْهَ النَّهَارِ وَاكْفُرُوا آخِرَهُ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِعُونَ The translation of the meaning of this ayah. And a party from the people of the book have said, Believe in what has been revealed. To the believers at the beginning part of the day and then disbelieve in it at the end of it so that they, i.e. the believers, may return, meaning they may renounce their faith. What's this ayah in relation to? There were a people from the people of the book, specifically a certain group of people from the Jews. This doesn't mean that all Jews were like this, there were amongst the Jews those that respected the Prophet There were those amongst the Jews who ended up embracing Islam themselves. But there was a certain party amongst them who had an agenda to be spies. Enter into Islam at the beginning part of the day, meaning pretend that you're Muslims. And then what you should do is that near the end part of the day, later on, renounce the faith. Say that you've apostated. Say that you've left Islam. Why? Aha, with an agenda. So that the others, they may also renounce the faith. Because the others, they're going to say, look at these people. These are people of the book. These are Jews. People that are knowledgeable. People that are people of scripture. So if they have left the religion... Well then, then, if they have left the religion, then what's the point of us sticking to the religion? They know better. They are people that are well versed in scripture. So if there was any good in this religion, then they would have stuck to it. So we're going to leave the religion just like them. So now, to deter this type of action from occurring, to stop this type of action from occurring, to ensure that all of the measures and the means by which Stability in religion can be brought about. We have this type of punishment. Because really and truly, if there is a country that has capital punishment for the one who renounces the faith after having believed in it, is a person in that country really going to renounce that faith openly when he knows that this type of punishment exists? And the one who has an agenda, he wants to undermine the religion. And if it's in a Muslim country, essentially undermine the law and order of the country, bring about chaos, turmoil, resulting in further loss of life in that particular country. The one that wants to do this and has that particular agenda, is he now really going to do it? when he knows that this is the capital punishment that he could potentially face, this therefore is a deterrent for, for such people. Not just that. There is no real risk to your life if it is the case that you want to renounce the faith. Why? How? 
Because if it is the case that a person declares himself, he wants to be a disbelief, he wants to disbelieve in Islam. That capital punishment isn't applied upon the one that disbelieves internally. He rejects Islam internally. You're not allowed to go into people's houses and say, are you really a Muslim? Are you really a believer in Islam? Or have you apostated? Have you rejected it? You're not allowed to do that. This is specifically in relation to the one that openly declares it. And it reaches the government. Not just that. He openly declares it. It reaches the government. The government is not meant to execute them immediately. But rather, they're meant to be given time. Time whereby certain confusion that they may have, that confusion is eliminated. Give them time to think about it. Because a lot of people you'll come across who say, oh, you know what, uh, I've left Islam, I'm not Muslim anymore. If you look at these people, on the most part, in terms of the people that I've come across, the vast majority of them were ex-Shia. So they were coming, they've left one form of kufr, and they've just gone to another form of kufr. So before, Islam is based upon recognizing that the Creator is one and only He should be worshipped. Those people that call themselves Shia, they worship things besides the Creator. They worship other people, saints, besides the Creator. So yes, you can understand where he's coming from. He's thinking, why should I worship a human being? Why should I worship a saint? Is this what Islam is? I'm going to leave it. Or you find somebody that is affiliated with the Brailvi understanding. So again, he was going to graves, calling upon saints, rubbing their graves, seeking blessing from graves, all of these things. They go against the fundamental of Islam. So the point is, is that when you look at the... Uh, the majority of the cases, these people, they, they don't have much knowledge of Islam. Once it is clarified that the religion that you are actually following wasn't Islam, but rather this is Islam, when they hear it and they hear the truth is true Islam, they find that it correlates with what is in their nature, within their innate nature, and it correlates with what is within their reason. And thus they end up embracing true Islam. So they weren't real apostates, they just left one form of disbelief and embraced another form of another form of disbelief. So the point being is that there is no real threat of life. Because the person, he isn't, the execution isn't applied upon him from the government immediately, but rather he's given time. He's given time to respite. He's given time of respite. He's given time to think. Things are clarified to him. Mercy is applied. The only person now that is going to be Wanting to have that punishment applied to them is the one that wants to make a statement. The one that wants to rebel against that government. The one that doesn't want to respect the laws of that government and say, you know what, I don't agree with the laws of this government, but at the end of the day, that's their law. I know if I start rebelling, I know if I start going out against it, then that's going to bring about social disorder within, the, within that particular nation. You should respect that law of that government. And then he can go to another country where he can practice his disbelief of Islam. Every, and the person may say, well, that's unfair. You know, it's not his fault he was born in that country. It's not his fault he was born as a Muslim. Every single country, even liberal countries, the citizen of that liberal country has no choice. Even though he might not agree with the laws of that country. 
even though those laws may go, may, may go against his ideals and his beliefs, a person has no choice but to accept those laws and live by those laws and face the penalties and the punishment of that particular country and the laws that it has. So for example, think of a liberal country like um, some of the liberal countries that we have in Northern Europe. A woman who believes that she shouldn't uncover the top part of her chest and her legs and her forearms and her certain parts of her body and her hair to other men. Not just that, she believes that she's sinning against the one who gave her that body in the first place. And that if she does so, she's earning the anger of her creator. In a country like France, her doing so is a crime. The Burkini is not something that is Islamic. The Burkini is un-Islamic. Why? Because it shows and reveals the contours of the body. And that's an un-Islamic dress for the woman. However, let's just take that Burkini. The woman who wears a Burkini in France on the beach, what's going to happen? Armed policemen are going to come up to her. Say, take it off. And if you don't take it off, we're going to arrest you. You're committing an offense. And that arrest could lead to you paying fines. And if you can't pay those fines, what's going to happen to you? You may be faced with imprisonment. For what? Covering the hair on your head. And not wanting to show certain parts of your body to other men. You're forced to accept that. You're forced to live by that in so-called liberal countries. So therefore, regardless of where you live on earth, or on earth, if there's a government there, there are going to be certain rules and regulations that you have to live by. Respect it. Yes, a woman that lives in France, better for her to leave. Rather, she has to leave that country. Go to another country where you can practice those things that you believe to be, and you practice your own beliefs and your own ideals. So the same thing applies. There, there is no, the point is, is there is no actual threat to human life as far as this law of punishment for the apostate is concerned in an Islamic government. That rule is there in order to maintain social order, stability, so that further loss of life isn't caused. The one who does so, knowing that this is the punishment, then he has an agenda to undermine social order uh, and law in that, particular, in that particular country, as well as the fact that it deters infiltrators and spies. طيب. So now the question, third matter. So the first matter was that all countries, they have this type of policy of assassinating or taking out those people that they consider a threat to national security. Number two, what is considered a threat to an Islamic government? Well, a person announcing apostasy openly in an Islamic government is considered a threat. Why? Because the Islamic government isn't, a, isn't like secular governments. The religion is tied to the state. So the basis of social order and the basis of stability in an Islamic government is the religion itself. And therefore it deters the infiltrators and what have you. Number three. Is capital punishment then justifiable? Okay, so now a person says, okay, I get it. I get it. 
a, uh, you know, you, you consider the one that openly declares apostasy in an Islamic government, knowing that the, uh, the punishment is capital punishment, then yes, him doing so is a risk to national security. But really and truly, should it be? Why? Why? Why should it be? Is it justifiable? This now goes back to your world view. Now, if it is the case that you're an atheist, if it is the case that you believe that, if it's the case that you're an atheist, then really and truly, you can't say that the capital punishment for the apostate in a Muslim country is right, and neither can you say that it's wrong. Why? Be because as far as the atheist worldview is concerned, right and wrong doesn't really exist. It's just a human construct that we've made up ourselves. But right and wrong doesn't exist. The only thing that exists is pass that passing on your genes. Passing on your genes, survival of the fittest, that's the only thing that exists. As far as right and wrong is concerned, as far as morality is concerned, then morality doesn't actually exist in the grand scheme of things, in the objective sense of the word. It exists in the um, things that we have made up, that we've made it up just to get by in life, but in reality, in the grand scheme of things, there is no right and there is no wrong. That doesn't exist. The only thing that exists is evolution. The only thing that exists is the passing on of genes. The only thing that exists is survival of, of the fittest. And therefore you could argue that if the atheistic worldview is true, then this here, this capital punishment and what have you, that's just another way of survival of the fittest. That's another way of taking out the weak ones of society, according to the atheistic worldview. Now that is a reality, that's a brute fact of life, that the only ones that continue to exist are those that are the strongest, and the weaker ones are just being eliminated. And therefore, according to your worldview, we can say that the one that is being eliminated, that's just the weaker ones of society. According to your atheistic worldview, we don't agree with that. We believe that morality does exist in the objective sense of the word. That it's not just the fact that life is a brute reality, but rather there is certain mor morals that are embedded within the human soul. Pre we are pre-programmed to recognize those morals. Sex, so as far as the atheist is concerned, and the one that is an honest atheist, he'll admit to that. The nihilist, the one that believes that no real morality exists, he'll admit to that. He'll say, yes, you know what, I, I agree. As from my worldview, I can't really say it's right, I can't, say, I can't really say it's wrong, because right and wrong, as far as the atheist is concerned, is just arbitrary. There is no reason behind it. You can't give any reason to it. It's just things that we make up ourselves. Okay, what about from a biblical perspective? From a biblical perspective, the one who uses the Bible as a criterion to be able to determine right and wrong and morality from immorality, well, you have capital punishment for apostasy in the Bible itself. Not only that, but go into the village and kill man, woman, and the children as well, and the donkeys and the, the, the animals. Kill them as well. Don't spare anything. So you can't really argue this law in Islam 
from a biblical perspective. Okay, so now, is it justifiable from an Islamic perspective? Well, let's just take it into consideration what is actually happening here. Hellfire, from an Islamic perspective, exists. Paradise, from an Islamic perspective, exists. What that person is doing when he's openly declaring his apostasy from Islam is what? That this faith, it's of no use. I've done it, I've, I've tested it, I've brought it, I've bought it. What's the, what's the statement? Worn the t-shirt. Bought it, worn the t-shirt. What's the statement? Something like that, yeah? I mean, I, I've, I, 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 just listen to me. I've done it. I've embraced the religion. I've experienced it. I've tested it. It's no use. It's false. All of those people that merely have just, you know, misconceptions about the religion, like some of us might have had before we started practicing Islam, those of us that were born in Muslim families, didn't, didn't understand it, born and raised in, a, uh, in an environment where Islam isn't the, you know, the dominant religion, um, you know, secular liberal philosophies is the dominant thing, so you think, you know, that's more correct, even though there aren't any proofs, you can't give any proofs for the secular liberal philosophies, but because that is the dominant ideology in where we, where we live, so you think, okay, that's correct. So then, yeah, you might have certain misconceptions, like why, you know, why in Islam you have to do this, and why in Islam you have to do that. So the one that is uneducated and slightly confused, in an Islamic country, where knowledge is accessible to him, there are people there that can teach him and educate him. But at the same time, you have free reign to announce your disbelief. Free reign to come into the religion and exit the religion. The one that is confused will say, you know what? I'm just going to follow what he's doing. I'll just renounce the religion just like him. If there's a lackadaisical approach to the religion, a complacent approach to the religion, that just come into it and exit out, exit out of it as and how you please. And so many people that are just... Slightly confused because of a lack of information, misinformation, or having a warped understanding of the religion. These type of people, they will end up leaving the religion, even though all that was required was a bit of education. Or those that have certain emotional reasons or financial incentives to leave the religion. When they know that you can easily leave the religion, be just, you know, um, there's no laws prohibiting you, no judicial laws that are pro prohibiting you from doing so. You know, I'll do so. Because if I leave the religion, I can become a millionaire. There's a financial incentive behind it. Or, I had a really, really bad, bad experience with my mosque teacher when I was a kid. So out of that emotional experience, pff, he just says, you know what? I've got an option here. So-and-so's left the religion. The door's open. I'm going to do so as well. But when you have laws in place that prevent a person from even thinking like that, from even going in that direction, he's not going to go in that direction. And thus, as a result of that, he's saved from the fire of hell. And paradise, the door for paradise is still open for him. So now the question is, is that Islam, it says that paradise exists and hellfire exists. And these are the proofs, these are the evidences that show that Islam, it is true. And that the that out of all ideologies and all walks of life and all religions, the last thing that it is that warrants any type of skepticism is Islam. And therefore, if that is the case, then capital punishment for the one that is essentially inviting people to come and burn in the fire of hell, 
is now warranted. Because this is now going to deter other people. And it's going to be a barrier that's going to stop other people from leaving the religion. Based upon what? Based upon a misunderstanding that they may have. That misunderstanding that can be remedied as a result of education. طيب. So that is part number three. Part number four. How do we treat apostates? How do you treat the apostates? Well, apostates, they can be of types. Two types. You have the apostate that leaves the religion based upon a, for example, emotional reason or a financial incentive or on ideological grounds. Right? An emotional reason. You know, dad, he always used to just talk to me about religion all the time. And I had it fixed in my mind that as soon as I grow up, as soon as I'm able to stand on my own feet, I'm going to leave home and I'm going to, out of spite against dad, I'm going to renounce Islam. Okay? This is an emotional reason, not a rational reason. Or a financial incentive that if I leave the religion, then I am going to get, I'm going to become the chief executive officer of my company because then I know they're not going to allow a Muslim man to have that particular job. So I'll just, I'll just renounce the faith. Or an ideological ground. For example, feminism. Oh, this feminism, it sounds so true. It sounds, I incline towards this, but I know it doesn't really correlate and correspond to the ideals within Islam. So what I'm going to do now, I'm just going to renounce the faith. And now what they do, they try to develop rational arguments, right, in order to uh, 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 justify their apostasy. And they become propagandists. They start, they start to be, make a propaganda against Islam, right? They start to be, make, you know, um, intentional lies against Islam. You find them doing this. They will formulate lies against Islam in order to undermine the religion. Why? All because they want to justify in their mind the apostasy that they've done. So that's one group of people. The other group of people are those who are just genuinely confused. They're genuinely confused and they actually think that, you know what, I've got, I've got uh, reasonable grounds to apostate from Islam. Right? They've heard a bit about evolution. They think, oh, you know what, these guys, they know what they're talking about. Scientists, obviously it's via science that we're able to make buildings. It's via science that we're able to engineer cars. It's via science that we're able to make pharmaceutical drugs. And it's the scientists that are saying that evolution is a fact. Alright, so I'm just going to follow them. Unbeknown to him, that the scientists don't even know what they're talking about. As we've discussed before, that there's two types of evolution. There is... Small, small, oh, I like that. Small evolution, microevolution, and macroevolution. Microevolution is basically a, a mutation of genes, yeah? Change of information within the gene. So we are proof of that. We are not dicto copies of our fathers. So that's the proof of microevolution. Macroevolution is essentially a religion, it's a belief. There's no proof for it. Scientifically, there's no proof for it. But it's just a belief that, okay, because genes can be mutated, that must mean that, ooh, monkeys, we come from monkeys. Right? A mutation of genes has occurred over, century, over cent many, many, many 
centuries and millions of years, and as a result of that, monkeys became human beings. That's a belief now, a religious belief, not a scientific thing, not a scientific fact. But the one that is not educated about that, you'll say, oh, you know what? That's that little scientist, they must know what they're talking about. So he treats the scientist as a prophet, he, he, and he doesn't give any consideration to the proofs of Muhammad being a true and real prophet, and he just follows what's, what science is telling him. Or he follows whatever ideology he ends up embracing. This type of person, he's to be treated with mercy. He's to be treated with understanding. You have to understand where he's coming from and what's happened to him and what he's gone through. And therefore, education and patience is what is meant to be observed with these type of, with these type of people. As for those people that are you know, spreading deliberate and calculated lies about Islam, then you just leave them to it. There's no point discussing with them because they have an agenda. Okay? Tayyib. That is essentially the points that we wanted to cover concerning this matter. These matters concerning capital punishment. The murderer, the adulterer, and the apostate. And really and truly none of uh, 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 I mean, uh, the one that commits murder and he's found guilty for it and the victim's family, they don't forgive him, then yes, he's going to face capital punishment if he's caught and the evidence is established against him. But if you think about it, the one that is the adulterer, as we, co as we mentioned previously, very, very unlikely that he's going to be stoned to death by way of by, by any other means other than his own admission. Because what is the criteria? Four witnesses have to see the act of penetration occur, which is impossible. For that reason, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he said, that un, from the dawn of Islam until today, no person has ever been stoned to death in an Islamic government. And likewise, the one that is an apostate, he very, there is no real risk to his life, because all he has to say, is that he is not an apostate. And you see, if he says he is not an apostate, you have to take his word for it. And therefore, there's no real risk to life. The only risk to life is the one that wants to be killed in an Islamic government out of a desire and an agenda to bring about social disorder to that country. And therefore, it's a risk to national security. And therefore, that is justifiable based upon how all countries operate their, the law of that particular land. So that essentially is the um, conclusion of that hadith. Again, the disclaimer that we made last session, we'll make it again, that these laws here are judicial laws and they are to be carried out by an Islamic ruler only and in an Islamic government. They are not for Muslims that live in non-Muslim countries to carry out. They are not for Muslims that live in non-Muslim countries to call for the implementation of these laws in non-Muslim lands. Likewise, neither are these laws for Muslim citizens, general Muslim citizens that live in Muslim countries to carry out these laws. These are laws that are, that are in place in order to bring about stability in a society, in an Islamic society, and therefore the only people that are responsible for doing so is the government itself not the individual people, not the general citizens of that particular country. If that was a conclusion to that hadith, we'll just quickly mention the hadith that we're going to cover next week, 
And that is the hadith of Abi Hurairah radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Who said that the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam said, Man kana yu'minu billahi wal yawmil akhir, falyakul khayran aw liyasmut. Whoever believes in Allah on the last day, he should speak a word of good or keep silent. وَمَنْ كَانَ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ فَلْيُكْرِمْ جَارَهُ Whoever believes in Allah and the last day, then let him honor his neighbor. وَمَنْ كَانَ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ فَلْيُكْرِمْ ضَيْفَهُ Whoever believes in Allah and the last day, then let him honor his guest. The hadith being recorded by Bukhari wa Muslim. Inshallah ta'ala, next week we shall go over that narration and elaborate upon certain points. والله تعالى أعلم وصلى الله على نبينا محمد والحمد لله رب العالمين